Hello, and a very good day to you. My name is Jim Harris, and this is Heritage Bible Radio. Heritage Bible Radio is an extension of Heritage Bible Church in Boise, where it's my joy to serve as the teaching pastor. Every day, we devote our radio time to studying a portion of the Word of God so you can know Him better through Jesus Christ and serve Him better through your local church. This week on Heritage Bible Radio, we continue our study of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15 starts with the gospel, which is inextricably connected to the resurrection found in verses 1 through 4. This was the gospel, which was preached immediately upon the arrival of the Holy Spirit, as described in Acts chapter 2. It had never changed. It is exactly the same today as when it was preached by Peter, James, John, Philip, Stephen, and Paul. An essential part of the gospel is the certainty of the resurrection, which is emphasized in this week's passage found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 29 through 49. Please follow along with Pastor Jim as he teaches today's slice of this week's message entitled, How Are the Dead Raised? Now, before we can dive into the big gulp of the lengthy passage, we have to process a, a notoriously difficult uh, verse, one that is a battleground on several fronts. 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty-nine. Now, remember, it's connected to the context. Otherwise, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why then are they baptized for them? I've studied this at length. Uh, I have found, depending on how you count and how much you overlap them, there are between 30 and 40 different interpretations of 1 Corinthians 15:29 that you can find in commentaries. Um, some of them are absolutely bizarre. Some of them are a little bit bizarre. Some of them are a little bit reasonable. And it's, in many cases, always tough. But some of the more prominent ones are that this has to do with vicarious baptism to benefit people who died unsaved and unbaptized. So, you know, uh, Uncle George didn't get baptized, so I'm going to go get baptized for Uncle George and try to drop kick him into heaven if I can. I don't think they use the word drop kick. Or some say it is baptism to secure reunion with Christian relatives after death. Well, you might see your relatives after death. I'm not sure baptism is going to get there, get you there. Baptism uh, can be done, they say, for someone terminally ill who can't be physically baptized. And so, well, he's good as dead and he can't make it into the tank, so I'll go get baptized for him. There's another one that says it's baptism prompted by the testimony of the dead, prompted by the, in other words, I've believed because of the testimony of the one who went before me and died because of the faith. And then there's a bevy of esoteric ideas about baptism washing away deadly sins, or baptism to express oneness with dead believers, or baptism simply to confess the belief in resurrection of the dead, um, because baptism is a symbol of death and resurrection a la Romans chapter 6. Like I say, there's, there's 30 or 40 interpretation. 
the one you have most likely heard of is the practice of some of our friends and neighbors and maybe even family members who belong to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, usually referred to as Mormons, though they've asked us not to use that name anymore, and it's not going to work. They've been Mormons too long, uh, and I'll use that name, but I don't mean it in a derogatory way. They believe that by being baptized as a proxy, as a stand-in for dead people, especially dead loved ones, it provides those dead people another opportunity after death to believe in the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and get into heaven as they define it. Uh, It takes place in Mormon temples. One of them is less than two miles from where I'm standing right now. You likely have friends and neighbors and maybe family members who participate in it. Now, I want to give you some things to wrestle with as you consider this verse. We're going to spend an inordinate amount of time here, but don't worry. We'll get to the whole, to get to the whole thing. One thing we can say about 1 Corinthians 15, 29 is whatever the meaning is, it has to fit the context. Well, that eliminates a whole bunch of the 30 or 40 interpretations that have been proposed over the centuries. Whatever it means, it has to be relevant to an argument for the certainty of the resurrection from the dead, because that's what the context is. Second thing we can say about it is, whatever it means, it has to fit with the meaning of the words and the grammar of the text. Um, it, It has to involve something that is done for the sake of or on behalf of the dead, because that's the range of meaning for the preposition that's translated for. It's in place of or, in, uh, or on behalf of. Whatever else we say, it has to be related to an existing practice with which the Corinthians were familiar. We know that because Paul mentions it, and he doesn't explain it. He, he just refers to it because... There was something that they knew was happening that was baptism huper necroi, for the dead. Now, that all means we know there was such a thing going on in Corinth. It was well known, otherwise he couldn't mention it without explaining it. He doesn't say that this was something that was necessarily being done in the church there, only that the people in the church there knew about it. Two possibilities exist then. It was either a pagan practice in Corinth, and boy, did they have a whole bunch of pagan practices going on. That whole temple of Aphrodite thing is enough to uh, choke a hippopotamus anyway, just on, on for fault for bad doctrine. Or it might possibly have been a perversion of Christian baptism. Now, there's only 30 or 40 interpretations. I don't mind throwing mine into the hat. It's not different from any of the 30 or 40 that are out there, but I prefer to see it as a pagan practice of baptism by proxy for people who died, probably associated with one of the the Greek religions that had certainly had its impact on Corinth. That would make it a first century practice very similar to what our Mormon friends do. 
if it was a perversion of the Christian baptism and it was being practiced in the church, I don't think Paul would have just made a passing reference to it. I think he would have landed with both feet on it and rebuked them seriously for doing something like that. Paul did not um, go lightly on perversions of sound doctrine. So, this fits into the context how? Well, he's talking about the certainty of resurrection. And he's using this as an illustration of how passionately people believe in life after death. To believe that the death, that grave isn't the end of everything, that's normal. And one such evidence is that people take steps to do things in this life because of what they believe about life after death. So three comments and we'll move on. First of all, all advocates of vicarious baptism that we can find reference to in the first several centuries after Christ, they were all heretics. Vicarious baptism never was practiced in mainstream Christianity. It's foreign to the Bible. Secondly, it is intellectually and exegetically dishonest to twist 1 Corinthians 15, 29 into a command. Paul does not tell anybody to be baptized for the dead. He says, look, even people that are baptized for the dead believe in resurrection. That's normal to believe in resurrection. He gives no hint that he approved of it, no hint that he wanted anyone to do it. And because of where we live, I think it's important to point out that the Mormon practice of vicarious baptism for the dead is not supported at all by this verse or anything anywhere else in the Bible. They believe that the origin of that practice was in a revelation allegedly given to Joseph Smith. So that whole idea comes from outside the Bible through the mouth and the pen of somebody that believed a completely different gospel. They reference this verse but there's still no way to twist it into a command. Now, there is one halfway credible interpretation that could explain this as a Christian practice is that it might refer to living believers who give testimony at their baptism to the fact that believers who died before them influence them to faith. In other words, a a kind of a generational thing. Uh, I I saw in my parents this transformation in their life, and and I have believed in the one who who did the transformation. I, I can live with that, but that still doesn't fit the word translated for which means in behalf of. Um, And if that's the case, it would have referred to a very tiny number of people in Corinth to whom it could possibly have applied because this church hadn't been around all that long. There wasn't time for multiple generations and for people who are now with the Lord to have had um, that big of an influence on that number uh, of people. But 1 Corinthians 15, 29 It's not a command. Don't go do it. I think it refers to a pagan practice. And the point is, 
It shows that people believe in life after death. If you would like this message on Compact Disc, let me know and we'll send it to you. You'll receive the entire message, not just the portion on today's program. You can order by phone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704 or on the internet at hbc-boise.org. Heritage Bible Radio needs your prayers and your financial support. Once again, you can reach us online at hbc-boise.org or by telephone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704. And if you need a church home here in the Treasure Valley, I hope you'll visit us any Sunday at 7071 West Emerald. For Heritage Bible Radio, I'm Jim Harris. See you next time. Bye-bye.